It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. I'm Joe Mott. Thank you for listening today. In episode six, I attempted to answer a question I thought two listeners had written the station about. They seem to be concerned about needing to learn philosophy in order to defend the Christian faith. In my answer, I said, yes, you do need to be prepared to give a defense for the reason for the hope within you. That is the command taken from 1 Peter 3.15, and it is for every believer. In fact, apologetics is the enterprise of obeying that command. I recommended last episode the book Tactics by Greg Kukul, which I think can be very useful. The title for this episode is Reasons for Apologetics. Apologetics is giving a reason or defense of our Christian faith using the weapons of reason. Positively, it is building a logical case for Christianity. Negatively, it is answering objections to the Christian faith or giving refutations of contrary views. The American Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer calls apologetics pre-evangelism. Philosophy in the form of apologetics presents a particular challenge to the Christian. The scripture passages, 1 Peter 3.15 and 2 Corinthians 10.3-5, are foundational for this program. 2 Corinthians 10.3-5 is a crucial text that corresponds to these two tasks of apologetics. Indeed, we live as human beings but we do not wage war according to human standards. The weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every obstacle, every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God These are the negative aspects, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This this is a positive aspect. This is taken from 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 from the New Revised Standard Version. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 mentions strongholds in, in the context of destroying arguments. Or reasonings. The dictionary gives the primary definition of stronghold as a well fortified place. But the secondary meaning is a place where the central idea of a group 
is uniformly expressed. So if someone says academia is a stronghold of left-wing liberalism, he is using the secondary meaning. I suspect Paul used the word stronghold to convey an idea about the apologetic task that goes well beyond just logical arguments. So I take stronghold to mean a psychological framework designed to fortify someone against the truth of the gospel. For some people, worry and fear may be strongholds. Materialism, the philosophy of materialism, is a stronghold according to the words of the scientist Richard Lewinton. He said, our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated, just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but, on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. This seems to me to be a stronghold. The challenge then is for the Christian to outthink the non-Christian in both building a system of truth and in tearing down systems of error trying to leverage evidence to do apologetics in order to explain to the Christian what we believe and why we believe it, and to refute erroneous objections by the skeptic to the Christian faith. But I don't believe we need to be conversant with all our philosophy in order to be obedient to the command in 1 Peter 3.15. We don't need to know the thoughts of the ancient Greek philosophers, nor those of some of the later philosophers like David Hume, Immanuel Kant, Bertrand Russell, Spinoza, or Hegel. What I think we need is to be especially cognizant of the technique of argumentation, how to build our own arguments, how to analyze other people's arguments, how to distinguish premises from the conclusion, 
and how to recognize and avoid fallacies. In that regard, I strongly recommend the Handbook of Christian Apologetics by Peter Kreeft and Ronald K. Ticelli, and especially a section called A Mini-Lesson in Logic on pages 17 and 18. If you were interested for a discussion on this topic, contact the station and I will address it in the future. But even though philosophy, logic, and reason can be challenging, it also offers numerous benefits to the Christian. First, there is a general challenge of thinking critically, clearly, consistently, and correctly. That is the basic task of any thinker, Christian or non-Christian. Second, because of his beliefs, his biblical beliefs, the Christian has a special philosophical burden. He needs philosophy to communicate the Christian view to those with other worldviews. He depends on philosophy to clarify his own thoughts and to understand what the scriptures say about an issue under discussion. He uses philosophy to discern the interlocutor's questions. And the Christian needs philosophy to answer objections. In this regard, I recommend three books. First, Who Made God? edited by Ravi Zacharias and Norman Geisler. Second, The Bible's Answer to 100 of Life's Biggest Questions by Norman Geisler and Jason Jimenez. And third, If God Made the Universe, Who Made God? A publication of Holman Publishing with many essays that were originally published in the Apologetics Study Bible. Third, apologetics would be impossible without the aid of arguments, reason, logic, and evidence. What good would it be to say the Bible says if more than two-thirds of our contemporaries don't believe in the authority of the Bible? To be able to convince them of the Christian faith, we need apologetics or pre-evangelism. It would be beneficial for any Christian who does apologetics to consider the field of comparative religions because the most popular objections to Christianity come from this particular field. Someone has said that the study of comparative religions will only make you comparatively religious. The objection from comparative religions is not that Christianity is not true, but that it is not the truth. Not that it is a false religion, but that it is only a religion. The complaint is how arrogant and narrow-minded to claim that Christianity is the only true religion. This is the most common objection to Christianity today. For the culture worships not God, but equality. It fears being right where all others are wrong more than it fears just being wrong. 
It affirms that all truth is relative. It desires power, wants to have absolute control, and resents the fact that God is ultimately the absolute ruler and the determiner of truth. As C.S. Lewis correctly observed, to be ignorant and simple now, not to meet the enemies on their ground, would be to throw down our weapons and betray our brethren, who have under God no defense against the attacks of the heathen. Good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be answered. Fourth, the Christian needs philosophy to counter error and eliminate heresies. By definition, a heretic is one who dissents from an essential Christian doctrine. The word comes from a Greek word which means to pick out for oneself. If the task of apologetics is to show that Christianity is a system of truth and to tear down error, then how does one explain the warning coming from the Apostle Paul, which says, to beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and empty deception. That's found in Colossians 2.8. Unfortunately, some Christians have taken this verse to be an injunction against the study of philosophy. This is incorrect for three reasons. First reason why Paul's warning is not against the study of philosophy is this. His warning is not a prohibition against philosophy as such, but against a false philosophy. Colossians stands in the same relation to Ephesians as Galatians to Romans. Romans and Ephesians give us sound doctrine, while Galatians and Colossians correct a deviation from sound doctrine. What then is the erroneous doctrine that was leading the Colossians away from sound doctrine? I will discuss this in the next episode. So long. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.